so um, we're going to talk about this thing today called prayer. That's the word for today, prayer, prayer. And um, it is a key, key word in, in my life and, and in the lives of, of anybody who has made these moves, these 12 moves to experience God and experience healing in your life. And, and if you were here last week, we, we talked about how we're entering this new phase of these 12 words where we take all these concepts that we've been learning about, and you can see the, the concepts all on these posters around the space. We take these things that we've been learning, and we take them into our uh, Monday morning to Saturday night life. You know, what does it mean to take what we experience here outside of these walls and into our daily lives? So last week, uh, we just talked about how we need to become a people of, of honest reflection and, and identify those things in our lives that, that cause us to respond to the world in particular ways. And today we're going to talk about another aspect of this ongoing daily dependence and experience of God. And to do that, I want to kind of, if you were here for the beginning of the series, I want to take you back a few weeks uh, because at some point in the series, I talked about the metaphor of spirituality uh, to elect, as electricity. And we talked about the, how, how the idea of, of spirituality is that spirituality and God's presence and God's power is around us all the time. And kind of like when you walk into a dark room, the electricity is there, as long as you've paid your light bill. The, the electricity is there. It is available to you, but that if, if the room is dark or if a light's not turned on, even though the electricity is there, until you actually do something, and, you know, the light doesn't turn on. And so what we're talking about with these movements of spirituality is what do we do in our lives to provide access to the electricity of God's power? We don't manufacture the power. We don't manufacture the electricity. It is there already, much like God's power, his, his presence is already there. What we do is essentially make some movements on our end to let that power in and through us. And prayer is one of the key ways we do that. So if you have a Bible uh, and you want to open, up your, uh, open it up to Luke chapter 11, that's where we're going to start today. And by the way, like if, if you want a Bible or if you need one, uh, you can use your app. But uh, if you want sort of the physical real thing, it's over here on these tables. There's some pens over there. And if you don't have a Bible, look, just take one. We'll get more. Um, so we're going to start in 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, John, they're referring here to John the Baptist, who uh, Jesus was actually a, a follower and a part of John's ministry before he set out on his own ministry. And so the first thing that we're going to like just kind of dive into with the reality of prayer is that his disciples have to ask him. And I don't think we should blow past that. You know, his disciples at this point are all Jewish. They've been brought up in the reality of, of the Jewish faith. And yet, they still look at Jesus one day and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray just like John taught his disciples to pray. And so the first thing that I just want to kind of put out to you guys and put in your mind is that don't 
assume just because you grew up in the church or, or because your friends have grown up in the church or your children are growing up in the church, don't assume that they know how to pray. Don't assume that you know how to pray. I don't assume that I know how to pray. They look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And, and I think this is, stands in a contrast to the way some of us have, brought up, have been brought up in the faith, if you've been a part of faith, or if, maybe if you're new. And sometimes people just say, oh, you know what? Prayer is just kind of like talking to God. You're just going to talk to God. That is true. But if it was that simple, I would say, why does Jesus' disciples say, hey, teach us how to do that? Because they've been brought up already, I would tell you, in the Jewish faith already. If prayer was simple, they got that part down. But they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus responds this way. And he said to them, when you pray, Say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So this is the way Jesus uh, starts. This is how he responds. And the first thing that I want you to notice also is that when they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, Jesus doesn't also just say, well, just talk to God however you want. He says, when you pray, say this. Now, let me be clear. Prayer is talking to God. It is having this vital dynamic relationship where we can talk. And Jesus unpacks that in just a moment. But if you're like me, I, I grew up with the idea of like, you know what, like we, we should never read prayers or say things that other people write down because we didn't write those things down. So maybe the best way for me to pray is to just talk to God, you know, and tell him what I'm feeling. That's true. But yet, again, when his disciples say, teach us how to pray, what's the first thing he says? Hey, say this. Say this. And, and what he tells them to say is actually a Jewish prayer. Uh, Jesus doesn't actually make this whole thing up. There was a prayer in the first century. It's still used by Jews today called the Kaddish. Let me hear you say Kaddish. So the Kaddish is, is actually the second most important prayer in the Jewish faith. And if you were to read it, it sounds a lot like what Jesus' words here are. God, let your kingdom come. Let your name be holy and sanctified through the earth and, and, and provide for us. So they say, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, pray with these words that come out of your faith. So just because as kind of an aside, you know, you got this card with, the, with this prayer on it that we just read. And if you don't know that that's the prayer, it's called the prayer of St. Francis. So there's a guy in... In, uh, in Italy, back in the, the medieval times, um, who was, uh, he was really wealthy, named Francis of Assisi. And God got a hold of him in a powerful way. He renounced all his wealth. He renounced uh, everything that he had and embraced poverty in a radical, radical way. 
and he followed God with all his heart. And so this prayer is a prayer that has been attributed to, to Francis and his followers. And, 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 and it's a great prayer to pray. And I know people in my life who this is one of the prayers that they pray. And sometimes if you, if you reach a, a, a part where you're just stumped in your prayer life, let me just tell you there's nothing wrong with picking up a prayer that somebody else has written because there's power in those prayers. And you even let those prayers push on you a little bit. Grant, uh, that one part of that prayer said, hey, don't, don't let me just desire to be pardoned, but to pardon. Man, that prayer should push on you a little bit. Grant, not so much that uh, I get understood, but that I understand, you know? So Jesus says, look, say these words. And, and I've unpacked the, what we, you know, this is called the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer, depending on your faith tradition. I've unpacked this before, but let me just kind of uh, mention what is encapsulated in these words. You know, it is, a, it is a cosmic prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come. May your name be holy and sanctified through all the earth. So it's this big vision, God. May all of this happen throughout all the earth. Let your kingdom come. And yet, it's also really, really intimate. It says, give us our daily bread. Provide for us right now, today. And if you didn't know about the first century, look, there was no banks, there was no savings accounts, there was no ATM. The daily bread meant, God, keep us alive today because you didn't really have tomorrow's bread. You didn't have tomorrow's money. You got paid, you went to the market, you bought your, your food and your meal for the day. So to say, God, give us our daily bread was basically say, God, provide for our very existence right now. God, forgive us as we forgive others. We've talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then it ends, you know, with this idea of don't lead us into temptation. Don't bring us into the times of trial. And, and implied in that is, God, if you do, help us get through it. And so Jesus says, look, pray this way. He gives them the words, and the words are both uh, really, really big, really, really large agenda, and really, really personal and intimate. God, and even starts with the word Father. Abba is the, is the word that, that is, is indicated there. It's a word of intimacy. Daddy would be our closest equivalent today. So, Daddy, take care of all these things in the world Daddy, provide for your people. Simultaneously, really big and really, really intimate. So that's the way it starts. You talk about prayer. Jesus says, look, do this. And then he goes on to unpack a little bit more of what it means to pray. Then Jesus says to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, Lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The Lord is already, uh, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely Get up and give you as much as you need. Little uh, Bible trivia quiz here. Like, so who, who is the friend inside the house in this story? It's God. It's God. This is a parable. 
So Jesus is like, look, this is, a, this is a word about persistence and your relationship with God. You know, some of us treat, treat God as if like, uh, either like there's nobody home in the house or we treat him as if like if we knock on the door, he's gonna come to the, you know, come to the door with like a lightning bolt and just like jolt us because he's tired or he doesn't want us there. But Jesus says, look, no, no, you're heavenly father. Just go knock. And if he doesn't come to the door, knock some more. Keep on going. He says, actually, because of your shameless audacity, come on. He goes on, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Persevere in prayer. And then he ends it this way. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, thanks Jesus, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he's basically saying, look, most, if, if, you're, if you're a parent or even a good friend, like you're not gonna give something bad to somebody who's asking for something good. You love them. And so how much more so God is your heavenly father. You, you want something. God is going to give that thing to you. He's not going to, to send some kind of a bad uh, substitute for the thing that you're asking for. So again, Teach us to pray, and Jesus responds first with the words of a prayer, and then he also says, look, be persistent, and also trust your relationship and trust who God is. He's a father and a good one, and trust that that relationship is not going to get jeopardized by no matter how much you ask. Knock on the door, because the father is not going to zap you with the lightning bolts for waking him up. Those are powerful words. And they speak as much about the relationship that we should have with God as, as much as the actual mechanics of prayer. They say to Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds this way. But here's where I want to kind of take this a little bit further. Because they don't, I believe, just ask Jesus to teach us because he has the right words or, or instructions about prayer. You see, the disciples have been with Jesus. They've watched him. They don't just ask him because he's going to give them the right words. They ask Jesus because they have seen it in his life already. It's not so much about the words he speaks, but about his actions. Because Jesus is a person of prayer. So, just a note, like this kind of speaks to one of those wisdom sayings for, uh, for, for, especially for parents, you know, or leaders. People don't listen, just listen to what you say, they really, they do what you do. So Jesus doesn't just say, do this. His actions, his identity, his fiber, he's living prayer out. So the way this works, and this leads us to some deeper waters, 
because uh, in all three of what we call the, the synoptic gospels, which are these similar gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, Jesus prays particularly in a particular way three times in each of those gospels. There are three key uh, aspects of Jesus' ministry that happens, three key events, and he prays in a particular way in each of those three times. So the three events are this, um, just summing up. Um, at the beginning of his ministry, he chooses these 12 disciples. He calls them the 12. They're very important to Jesus. He chooses the 12. In the middle and slightly towards the end of his ministry, he goes up onto this mountain and something happens where we're told his clothes like, like change from just normal clothes to like they're, 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 they're white. They're just blinding white. And something happens in, in, the, in, the, in the church. We call it the transfiguration. Anybody ever heard of this? He's up on the mountain. Peter, James, and John are with him. Something happens. And then at the end of his ministry, he goes in this place called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's at this critical, the last turning point where either he's going to be arrested and tortured and executed or not. And he goes into the garden and he prays and he prays this prayer that, that we'll kind of address in just a moment that includes, God, uh, not my will, but thy will be done. God, take this cup of suffering that's coming. Take it from me, but not what I want, but what you want, God. Those three times are all recorded in uh, the, the synoptic gospels, which means similar eye, synoptic, same eye. And every time it is associated with Jesus, like going away to a lonely place and staying up either all night or most of the night praying. Gethsemane is actually it happening. He is, he's gone off by himself. It's the middle of the night and he's praying. And so what this starts to lead us to is the idea that there's, there's another way of prayer besides just saying these words that he's given us. And there's another way of praying, I think, that goes beyond the knocking and the persevering and the asking. And that is the idea of, of quiet and solitude and listening and experiencing the presence of God in a different way. You see... This electricity that, that, we, that is all around us, there's something else that's encapsulated in this metaphor that I want to kind of like address. And that is the idea that not only uh, does God sort of represent this, this power that is, uh, that is illustrated in this lamp, but it's almost as if God is trying to also say, look, when you get this, this life right, this spiritual life right, this power, it doesn't just live over here. It actually can come with you, you know? And so, like, the, the way I was thinking of it is, like, not only is that light over there, but, like, I can carry a light with me. And it's always available to me. You know, just like this thing that we have in our, all of our pockets called a cell phone where we can turn on a light. The power doesn't just stay over there. It actually is meant to come with me and through me and through you and not just the super Christians but through all of us prayer means like getting the presence of God into our lives in a powerful way 
It's not just speaking the words. It's not just persisting. But it is letting that power start to take root in our lives, our consciousness. So we talk about this in a couple, couple ways. Um, has anybody ever... <laughs> Has anybody ever been like caught up in the moment and bought something and later on you were like, what was I thinking? Oftentimes like it's associated with like late night TV watching and a 1-800 number and you're just like something in your brain's like, that makes a lot of sense. I need one of those things in my life. Maybe it was the shake weight. I don't know. But has anybody ever had that thing where like there's this drive and this pull of like, I need that thing. That thing is gonna make my life better. And then you get it and you're like, not only does it not make my life better, it makes it actually a little worse. Maybe it doesn't work right or it just doesn't actually, like, you know, actually I bought the P90X. I'm not going to work out. I haven't worked out. You know, maybe that was your reality. You're like, no, this is it. And you bought it without thinking and it came and you're like, ah. I'm assuming that some of us at least have done that thing. So here's where this gets interesting. Because when, when we think about persevering in prayer, I want to throw out to you guys that sometimes there are things that we persevere and ask for that we actually don't really need. Now, this does not negate Jesus' words. Persevere and ask. But I want to plant the thought in your head that there are things that you have persevered for in our lives. There are things that I persevere for in my life that I am ultimately, utterly convinced this is the thing that I need right here, right now, and I get it, and I'm like, what? wait a minute. It's not who I am. It's not where I'm at. I actually don't need this thing. So what if the thing that you think you really, really want actually you're not too sure about? Let me, let me ask it in a slightly different way. Are you certain? That that thing that you want could be an object, could be a relationship, could be a job, could be more money, could be the new house, could be the boat. I'm pretty sure boats never are good ideas. At least that's what I've been told. They're great ideas for, for people who don't own boats like me. Are you certain that it's the best thing for your life? Are you certain? Because if there's just a little bit of doubt, that persevering, that asking, that <laughs> knocking on the door, hmm, that leads us to a different layer of prayer. Because it means that the thing that we really think we want the most may not be the thing that God really says is the best. So what do we do with that? You see, I, I really think in my life, I, I live in two kingdoms. That's the way I call it. I live in two kingdoms. The first kingdom is the king, kingdom of the 21st century North American Western world. And that kingdom is going to tell me to live a certain way. It's going to tell me to get a little bit more 
It's going to tell me to look a certain way. It's going to tell me to desire certain things. It's going to tell me to live in certain places. But I also live in the kingdom of God. And that kingdom's going to tell me, I believe. Look, you should desire certain things according to the kingdom of God. You should desire to live in certain places according to the kingdom of God. Spend your money in a certain way. Allocate your resources in a certain way. And guess what? Look, those two kingdoms, they're not cozy buddies. And they are not one in the same. The American dream is not the kingdom dream. Sorry if I just shattered any illusions. The American dream is not the kingdom dream. Neither is the the British dream, neither is the Ugandan dream, neither is the Russian dream. The kingdom of God is a different kingdom altogether, and its king is Jesus. And I take orders from him. But here's the deal. I live in that North American kingdom, don't you? And if I don't learn to pay attention to the kingdom that Jesus is leading me to, I will operate according to the kingdom of America all the time because I breathe it every day. I see the commercials. I'm just as subject to it as anybody else. So it will lead me to knock on that door for certain things. Maybe it leads you to knock on the door for certain things. But that's not the kingdom of God. Um, a guy named Richard Rohr, who is actually a Franciscan monk. They take their names from Francis of Assisi, prayer that we just read. Uh, Richard Rohr identifies that there's these five big monsters that no kingdom will address adequately except the kingdom of God. They are love, death, suffering, God, and infinity. And he says, the thing about it is, every kingdom will tell you that they can deal with these five. But they cannot. They will break down. Because just as an example, the the, the North American kingdom will say, look, you shouldn't suffer. You shouldn't suffer. You, You should be as comfortable as you can all the time. And if you're suffering, maybe you've done something wrong or maybe you just haven't spent enough money. But Jesus' kingdom says, Not only sometimes is suffering going to come, but when you suffer, God is present with you. You haven't done anything wrong. You're not being punished. God is present with you in the midst of your suffering. So therefore, suffering when it comes, it's not great when it comes, but it doesn't mean you have to go, oh my gosh, I must be being punished. I must have done something wrong. I must need to give more money to the church. Jesus says, no, no, no. In this life, you're going to have trouble, but I'll be with you. And if I'm with you, it can mean something. All right. So there's two kingdoms. Jesus' disciples says, look, teach us to pray. And Jesus has, has gone away, and he experiences silence and solitude and a different mode of praying, I think, when he has to confront the biggest events of his ministry, choosing his most intimate community, getting ready to kind of be transformed into this new reality of where where all of a sudden he's like looks different and he is different. 
That's another big one. And then right before, right before the big suffering happens, and he goes away and he prays, not just words, and not just knocking and asking, but something that guides him to a deeper place. So here's the third question I want to ask us. What if prayer isn't about getting what we want, but it's about changing what we want? What if prayer isn't just about knocking until I get the boat or, or the job? But what if prayer is letting God dwell so richly and deeply inside us that we're like, oh my gosh, I don't need a boat. Oh my gosh, I don't need a promotion to feel okay about myself. Oh, oh, oh my gosh, I can actually give more money away than I keep because the kingdom isn't a matter of wealth. What if prayer is about changing what we want? Uh, Jesus' brother, a guy named James, uh, he writes this to a community in, in, in this letter. In James chapter 4, he says, Look, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. Anybody ever have that moment? You covet, but you don't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And then he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. That sounds like the knocking and the perseverance. But then he says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with what? Wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. And then he goes on, and I've always understood these verses differently until I really sat with them this week. He goes, these, these are pleasant words. Like, can you imagine uh, like me or Lori or Mark saying this? You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And he goes on to kind of unpack that a little bit. But in the context He's not just saying, look, you can't be friends with the world and, and be friends with God. He's also saying, look, if you're friends with the world, it will affect your prayer life. If you dwell in the kingdom of 21st century North America, you're going to ask for certain things all the time. Some of them you might get, and it'll be like the shake weight, or it'll be like P90X. Look, I got this thing. Wait a minute. I'm never going to do anything with this. But James and Jesus, I think, would say, look, if you learn to let prayer and let God rewire your mind, you'll find yourself asking for the things that God really wants to say. Oh, here you go. How about some peace? How about some contentment? Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, teach us to pray. And they've looked at his life and they've heard the words he said. And as we kind of close I want to kind of um, bring this thing home with giving you what I think are the beginnings of a prayer life that will start to change the things you want. I cannot promise you that you will get everything on your list. But what I can tell you from personal experience, that you will start to want different things in life that look a lot more like God's agenda in the world and not 21st century North American agenda in the world. So there's some invitations in this. 
These are kind of the framework of this prayer. The first invitation is uh, from speaking to listening. A lot of us think that prayer is just, I'm going to tell God everything on my list. Even the good things, I'm going to tell God how great he is, definitely do that. I'm going to tell God where I'm sorry, definitely do that. I'm going to tell God where I'm grateful, definitely do that. Now I'm going to tell God what I need him to do, definitely do that. But the other half of this is saying, I'm going to be silent now. And I'm going to listen. Because sometimes when I listen, I hear how ridiculous some of those prayers were. God, would you make my wife not like, you know, make me do so many chores? And when I listen, I, real, I hear uh, maybe, oh, Eric, do you ever realize how many chores you actually don't do around the house? This, I'm, I'm serious. I think that I want more time to myself, but then I listen and I quiet my heart and I go, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. Like in my house, I'm just being honest, Shana can do like two to three more hours of work on a Saturday than I do. And I'm like, oh, I need my time. Perspective. From attachment to release. I don't know if you're like me, but I can get, I can get tunnel vision on that thing that I want. And it just stays in the forefront of my vision all the time. And I, and I knock harder and I focus more on it. And I get attached to that thing. And if I don't get that thing or that person or that job, then, oh my gosh, what have I done wrong? What are you, where are you, God? This invitation to deeper prayer says, you know what? Maybe I will get that. Maybe I won't. I put it in God's hands. You take it, God. It moves from prayer to presence. Prayer to presence. And this means two things. First of all, it means that above all, above all the things that I want from God, what I want most is his presence. Because if he's with me, I can do just about anything. So it goes from, look, give me the grocery list to just go shopping with me, God. I'll be happy if you're just with me. It means something else, though, too. Some of us have people in our lives that we've been praying for for years. Or sometimes when we're praying, anybody ever have like you're, you're praying and all of a sudden a friend will just come up and pop into your brain? And we pray for that person. Moving from prayer to presence also says, um, maybe God's telling you to pick up the phone and call that person. You can pray for that person. But maybe sometimes when that happens, God's saying, uh, they really want to hear from you. And so you move from prayer to presence. And the last invitation is, this is the big one. My will to your will, God. My will to your will. And then you start to separate yourself from those two kingdoms. And you learn what life in the kingdom of God is really like. And you're like, oh man, if I just do God's will and do what he tells me to do, just the next right thing and the next right thing, and his presence is with me. Oh my gosh, I feel so peaceful. I feel so content. My will to thy will. My will to your will. The prayer of relinquishment. So, how do we do it? 
Like, how do you actually do this? And some of us have, have, some of us have experienced more of this than, than others. And so um, that's the framework. I'm going to give you as practically as I can right now how to do this thing. Ways to start. This will change your life more than almost any other spiritual activity, period. And you know why I tell you that? I don't tell you that because I'm so impressive. I'm telling you that because I struggled as a person of faith for years before I started praying this way. So let this be a statement of my weakness to you and not in any form or fashion that I'm somehow got this all figured out. So some suggestions. Do it in the same time in the same place every day. Just set yourself a spot and a time that says this is going to be it. Every day, same place, same time. And some of us, you know, we pray uh, in our cars. That's fine. But, but doing that is kind of like when, you have, when you're in a relationship or even a friendship. You know, there's times when I, when I hang out and chat with my wife and we're driving somewhere. But then there are times when we need, we need focused time together. That's the way a relationship works. Where it's going to go, it's going to be a little bit above the level of driving together. We're going to sit down and we're going to like look in each other's eyes and we're going to talk. So more than just driving together, same time, same place, every day. Get yourself quiet and breathe. You know, like we talked about last time in the moment, how we just breathe and we're kind of like it levels our stress level or it lowers our stress level and levels things out. Just start off by just breathe. Like three or four times, deep breath. You're quieting yourself down. And then uh, some ancient, long-standing instructions in prayer, and I do this every day, is you, you identify a word that, that, is, that is the word that represents your submission and your, your attitude that you want God to speak to you. This could be any word. There's no magic in this word. Let me just be clear. There's no magic in this word. My word is the word rest. Because when I come to God, I know that he's just calling me to rest. Maybe your word is help. Maybe your word is father. Sometimes that, that brings up too much for people. Maybe your word is love. Maybe your word is peace. But a word that says, this is my posture towards God right now, and this is what I need from him. And then you just... Start to sit. And trust me, the moment you start to sit, the moment you'll realize how crazy your brain is. So you, you, you quiet yourself down and then you start to just rest in this presence of God. And your mind will wander. Trust me. And every time it wanders, you just put that word back in your head and you say, no, rest, or whatever your word is. Just bring your attention back to God and let him just sit with you. And you sit with him. And here's the last piece of advice I'll give you. Start small. Start small. Jesus ends up praying all night. I can't do that. I would suggest, like, if you've never done this before, if you can set a timer on your watch or your phone for three minutes and make three minutes, you're doing fine. It's just like working out. 
You don't go into half marathon training by saying, okay, day one of half marathon training, I'm going to run 12 miles. You won't do it, you'll get discouraged, and you will be sore. If you've never prayed this way, don't think you're going to sit down for 20 to 25 minutes and just go. Maybe God will give you that. Most of us, no. I had to build up over time. Start small. This is the type of prayer where you start to realize that some of the thoughts you think you want and you, and you, you want to knock on that door for, you're like, God's going to say, um, if I opened that door and gave it to you, it'd be the worst thing that hap- ever happened to you. Now, before we close, I'm going to have the band come on up. Um, I want to have just a word because some of us, some of us have friends and family members who are suffering. Okay? Some of us are suffering. And what we're knocking on the door for is a really good thing. Cancer. Some kind of sickness. Some people don't have a job at all. This is not about just saying, oh, nothing matters. And I guess that's, you know, cancer just is. It's not that. You can still pray that way. What I do in those situations is I visually, like, put that person in my hands and I envision God's hands and I just take that issue and that person and I say, God, I just want to give you this person. I want to give you this person. You love them more than I do. God, your will be done in their lives. You can hate pain and suffering in the world, but you can still go on the journey where God says, you can pray his will over your will. Just offer that to him. That's the prayer that rewires your brain. That's the prayer that I believe was operating in Jesus' life that made him so powerful and made the disciples go, I want what Jesus has. Because it's not just about the lamp. Jesus is like, I want you to pray this way too. Because I want you to have the power that God wants to give you. Not to get what you want, but to live out and obey his will on earth. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to close. They're going to sing a song. But before we do that, I want to give you guys a chance to just for 30 seconds sit in this type of prayer. So I'm going to ask everybody to kind of uh, close your eyes and bow your heads. Take a couple deep breaths. I'm going to ask you to choose a word that represents your willingness to be present with God. Just over the next 30 seconds, we're going to sit. When your mind wanders, just speak that word and bring your attention back to God. And then the band will lead us as we close.